On today's episode, we do a Culture Quest radio segment about songs or albums that are just almost perfect. We discuss when Harry met Sally, and we introduce the topic of our next episode again, Sleepless in Seattle. Hello, and welcome to the Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today we describe ourselves as having good personalities. With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Mario. Hello. That, and, that was a Billy Crystal impersonation. Yeah, we, we guessed. Yeah, it sounded exactly like him. I, I understand that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I am Inan. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. This is... Part three of an somewhat unintentional series, our rom-com mini-quest. <laughs> Two episodes ago, we've discussed 1995's Clueless. Then, for our last episodes, we, we've watched 2004's Love Actually. And the streak continues with today's episode, in which we'll discuss 1989's When Harry Met Sally. Uh, but before we get there, we have a Culture Quest radio segment. So, on today's Culture Quest radio segment, we're discussing the question, what is an album or a song that you think is almost perfect? That is, an album that is perfect uh, except for one or two songs that bog it down, or a song that is perfect except for, for a bit that doesn't fit or goes on for way too long or something. Can I start, can I start with a song, actually? Yeah, go for it. Because I think albums are... Low-hanging fruit? No. Um, well, to be fair, like, in some <laughs> sense, right, if you made an album with n- 10 songs and nine were bangers and one isn't, sometimes it can feel like that song lets the album down, but it's just, like, a very good song on an extremely good album. Yeah, so, yeah. that happens. And yeah. I, I've, got, I've got one of those, but um, in, in, in terms of songs, right, I honestly don't come across too many songs where I don't like one particular bit, like... For the most part, I like songs or I don't like songs, but the one song which I love, like it's a 10 out of 10 song up until this point, is the outro section of You Can Call Me Owl. The the verses for You Can Call Me Owl are so good. Like they're as good as the chorus. The chorus is great. The bass solo is great. All the instrumental stuff during the song is great. Yeah. And then there's a bit at the end, I mean, uh, the, where they ha- they kind of do the chorus again, but instead they put a few lines in between. So instead of, you can be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal, um, then they go, you can be my bodyguard, can be a long lost pal. You know, like, uh, in fact, I don't even say, think they say long lost pal, but... It just, I don't understand, I don't think anyone would sing along to that bit, you know, like you, you definitely sing along to the chorus and if you're me, you sing along to the verse, yeah. but <laughs> the, the outro just seems like, I don't know, I just, I get it's meant to be a vibe, like, you know, like, let's just soak ourselves in the, in how good this song was, because it was a really good song, but there's nothing interesting going on, it actually feels like... It actually feels almost like it's on a loop. You know what I mean? Like, it, they're not actually vibing to it. They didn't know how to end it. You know what I mean? Like, if you think something like a good song that has an ending that's repetitive but adds to the song is like, okay, most people know, like, already have this song in their heads, but Hey Jude. Hey Jude is, like, the best ending to a song ever, you know? Yeah. Like, you have, like, an interesting song 
And then you have a bit like na 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 na, which could go on for two bars if they wanted to. But then you have like the Paul McCartney go. You know, like, and then you have like all the everyone in the background, like as they get more into it, like they're strumming a bit harder. You have other people in it. You have John singing. It's like a three minutes outro. It's like a three minute outro, and it's almost, in my opinion, it's actually better than like the other bit itself. That, yeah, that's like the best <laughs> bit of it. Everyone's vibing to it, right? And you think maybe this wasn't a, like achievable in this song, like that maybe they couldn't have done something where. Everyone gets up and does a Mexican wave and sings, you can be my bodyguard. You know, like maybe maybe that wasn't achievable. Maybe it just doesn't fit with this song. But don't end it with like this elevator music of you can be my bodyguard. And then like just having this like dead, not silence, but just like just the same instrumental, you know, like have a bass solo or like have something else going on or you know, actually, even better, like, even better than what what came out is just end it earlier, you know? Like, just just call it. Like, it's a sh- it'll be a short song, but, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like when, when he wrote that song, he would have known it was the best song on the album or at least the most popular song on the album. Like, it's not like, wow, you guys like this one? Like, <laughs> you, he would have been singing it in the car home from the studio. That one I wrote as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I stole that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it 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 wouldn't have been a surprise to him. So I think they might have tried to milk like an extra minute because I'm sure I, if people like a longer song, that's better than liking a shorter song. Like more minutes on the radio, you know, it fills up more of the album. You know, yeah, it's definitely a good thing to have a longer song that people like. But and I'm I'm sure it wasn't just like a oh, great song, but we need to add one more minute. I, I think it was probably more naturalistic. Like it was probably more like, oh, this is a great song. How do we end it? Like, oh, do you guys know Hey Jude? <laughs> you know, like maybe we could do something similar, except I will just sing one line and then it will just be an instrument and then it'll be dead silence for five seconds. So <laughs> I don't know. There, there's something missing in it. And like the the I wouldn't care if the... Um, for the verses and the chorus weren't just like out of this world phenomenal. You know what I mean? If it was just an average song and it ended like that, I'd be like, okay, fair enough. But like it ha- he had the chance to make like one of the best songs of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, it took me a fair amount of time to kind of get to love this song. Like if you remember mm. when we recorded the episode, I was the least warm toward this this album as a whole. And I kept listening to it and I slowly learn to love it. Uh, I'm now pushing it onto my brother to get him to, to fall in love with this album as well. Mm. But like, it took me a long while to get to love this album and this song in, in, uh, specifically. And I don't feel that way towards the, the outro of this song, mm. but towards a lot of the outros on the, the rest of the album. So mm. I, I can see why you'd feel that way. The, yeah, that's actually one of the reasons why it probably didn't make one of my more favorite albums. Like, as I listen to it more... I forget actually that I don't like some individual songs because a lot of the songs I don't like on the album have pretty nice bits in them, you know, like something like Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes actually has some pretty cool like riffs to it and like has some interesting uh, melodies, but there's like whole sections that are just so boring, you know, <laughs> and um, the, the album, 
it's not it's definitely not a thorn in the album side well i it is but it's not the only thorn you know what i mean like it's, yeah it's got other problems it's not like yeah flaws, it's not except album. for a couple of outros it's definitely got other things but the album like definitely like drags its feet a little bit like i'm not sure why i'm sure there's some reason but um yeah there feels like there's some dead space where like it just doesn't feel like if you think about an album like Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, it just feels like such a well-coordinated party where you go and you like feel a bit peckish and there's like some, you know, spreads and dips and stuff. And, and you have those <laughs> and you're, you know, having, having different ones, you get to try maybe almost one of each. And then, you know, it's, it, it kicks on a little bit. And it just as you start to get a, like a whisker of thinking, mm, maybe nice to get some more substantial food then they start bringing out the main stuff like just as you needed it and then like at the end you know you're finished with food and like everyone's sort of getting into that snug phase where like a few people have left and then they just come out with dessert and like it's just perfect timing you know Fleetwood Mac just feels like it's a well-coordinated party where like you sit back you leave it to them they'll they'll sort it out whereas like with um graceland like if you're playing it with friends you kind of have to like sit in silence like as you're waiting for your turn <laughs> in monopoly you just think yeah yeah okay let's get to the riff and then like as soon as it gets close you'd be like you'd like tap people and you're like oh get ready for this this is so good you know like it and you kind of have to do a bit more work you know you have to do a bit more of the work to like enjoy it i gotta say that in a way i don't know why but in my mind paul simon and billy crystal are in very close drawers <laughs> i don't know I, I really can't explain like if if billy it's something crystal, about the voice yeah some, yeah something about the voice and, and with their general look i think if like graceland would have been sung by billy crystal it i think it would have still worked Think about it. You don't. You don't have to reply right now. Think about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- th- this was an incredibly hard task. My claim is that if there's an album that's really, really close to being perfect, and you hear it enough times, you kind of you tend to appreciate the the parts that you don't like, mm, and they yeah. actually become like a really important part of the album. Kind of like you know, where, where it shifts to a lower gear and, and you say, okay, this is kind of like the place where we're rest because the next song is amazing again. So I don't know, like I, I went over a couple of albums and, and, and I got to say that even these songs that didn't intuitively click for me, I love them now. But I did find an album that I really like. It's of a band called Katzenjammer. Katzenjammer. It's in, in German, isn't it? Uh, it's It's a Norwegian band and it consists of four very cool ladies and they got a they got a uh, an album from 2008 called Le Pop and it it has like very unique sound i think it's kind of circusy and and big and very fun i i love listening to it when working out or taking a walk it's it it gets you pumped and the thing is that the songs are are mature you know it's the album is La Pop, but it's not really pop. But there is the fourth song on on the on that album is called Tea with Cinnamon, and I gotta say that even though I really like every other song, I really love, and I think that's kind of like the it work everything works great together. Like even the order of the songs just really plays nicely. That specific song, it's just boring. It's too <laughs> sweet. It's it's kind of like it's a bit too happy and. 
Like I find myself skipping that a lot. Like I started listening to them a good couple of years ago, but this track, like until now, didn't didn't really click with me. Almost perfect. Yes. <laughs> like us. Yeah. <laughs> I'll also start with a song. There's there's one song that like that's a song that kind of inspired my uh, me asking this question today. Um, it's called Ghost of Perdition by Opeth. And Opeth is a progressive metal band from Sweden, a band that for a long while was one of my favorites, but their last few albums aren't exactly my thing. Uh, but anyway, Ghost of Perdition is the first song on Ghost Reveries, uh, their 2005 album. And I think it's almost, almost a perfect song. It's ten and a half minutes long. Oof. I think, in my opinion, it's one of the best songs from Opeth. I honestly think that this song is a showcase of their songwriting abilities and, and the way they create atmosphere. It's got very loud, very heavy bits, obviously, but it has a few very quiet kind of enchanting moments. The, the, the guitar playing is amazing, the drumming, and something about the, the synthesized flutes that they sometimes use on it. It all becomes this one very elegant, very classy song. And like, in short, it's, it's really a high moment in the career of a band that I really love. And where does this song fall short? Like Peter has brought up, I have a problem with the outro oh. of this song, yeah. It has one of the flattest, most generic outros ever. Like for, for 10 minutes, the song feels perfect. It feels like so much thought went into every instrument, every last sound. And then for the last 20, 30 seconds of the song, the outro just sounds you know, out of place. It sounds like it was taken from another song, maybe. It sounds as if they got to that point in the song and they wrote down a few notes as kind of a placeholder outro. And they said... We'll come back and fix it up later, and they just left it that way. It's out in stores, and they just think, "Hey, did we? Did we? Did we? We remember to do track? No, just <laughs> yeah. no. Did oh, we? Shit. Fuck. No, oh, we, shit. We, we couldn't. We couldn't forget. Like we, we probably did it, right? There's no. Yeah, chance we're responsible forget. people. Yeah, yeah. Oh crap! <laughs> Honestly, it's not that it's too long. It's not that it's you know dragging along. It's just twenty seconds one riff and it's not that good and it just sounds really disconnected from the rest of the song and it, you know i can't even explain it by by the next song either it's not as if that outro connects or builds something up for the next song and i remember noticing that bad outro on maybe my second or third listen of the of the song when the album was still new and i can't unnotice it it bothers me every time and honestly it's a 9.9 song out of 10, and that outro... That's a shame. Ah. Do you think outros are the easiest bit to, like, nail of a song? Like, because outro, like, you don't build up from the outro. The outro is pretty much, like, when you've got everything nailed in and then you just have to finish yeah. the song. You just have do you to think close people just get, like, cold right feet? And they're just like, how do we, like, stop playing the music? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just stop it on a beat. I, I guess, like, some bands get good at that, like... You know, they're like, da, 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 you know, like it, and it just ends. Yeah. And it's like, that sounds good. Although, Although I don't love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like it, but like, I don't know, it's very sudden, I guess. But that's that's a, definitely a, a good way. Then there's the fade out. The fade out, I... I'm not a big fan. I'm, you know what? The thing that freaks me out about a fade out, right, is like, like it's nothing sonically that I don't like about it. Like I, I'll, I'll love a fade out. Like there's nothing wrong with it, and, and it doesn't ruin a song. But I always think in the studio, 
did someone just make a mistake? (laughs) You mean like they're covering up with a fade out? (laughs) Yeah, like John's like botched it at minute four. So let's fade it out and have like the last audible note at 3.58, you know? Like you, you feel like what went wrong there? And also like... The the other thing is, even if nothing went wrong, you feel just like the human element like of logistics of like, like how did they finish the song? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, there's no real life fade outs. There's only fade outs on the album because someone in po- like, they don't play softer and softer and they're like down to like a whisper level <laughs> and they just go like, what do we do? Like, <laughs> you know, like they just play normally. And then obviously like the master track, like some guys just like, you know, either electronically or just like, you know, <laughs> pulling it down a little bit. But you always wonder, like, what did they do? Did they just get like 10 minutes after the song finished and go like, hey, you want to wrap it up, eh? You know, like, <laughs> you just feel like if they obviously didn't wrap it up satisfactorily because that's what you'd be hearing, you know? Man, I remember <laughs> as a kid, I used to really dislike fade outs because it, it kind of felt to me as if they're leaving me behind as if mm. the whole band keeps going keeps playing the music and you're just like eh, maybe stay behind maybe don't come oh with my us. god you know that's adorable I felt uninvited. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about a fade out right where you you sort of get like a few minutes like not a few minutes in but like you the volume is not at 100 percent anymore and then the guitar starts to do something like it's not playing the notes like it's starting to do like a solo and then they fade out in the solo like what's that yeah you know that that always annoys me like when like if you're fading out make it look like the party's over (laughs) you know like i often see when like i can't even i can't name a song that does it but i i definitely have heard quite a few instances where like you know, everything's kind of just rocking down, you know, they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then like, you think, okay, cool. They're just going to do that four times and then they'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, you get to where, just when it's audible, they're like, yeah, yeah. And then like the, the, the drummer just goes bang. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, what was that guys? That was like a totally new riff. Like, you know, like... <laughs> I want to hear that shit. <laughs> Feel like you're not getting your money's worth, you know? Before before we move on to the next album, to your next answer, Peter, I have to mention the best fade out in, in all of music. Do you know uh, Elvis Presley's Suspicious Minds? Uh, no, I have heard that song, but I, I just can't recall that. Yeah, you, you, you'll probably recognize it because it's on the radio a lot. But that song, after, I don't know, maybe like four minutes, it fades out, it fades back in. And it fades out again. <laughs> so good. No, we're still here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we forgot our keys. Bye. <laughs> um, so the album that I've got, it's actually a little bit of um, fish in a, in a barrel here. It's uh, Led Zeppelin 3. So what, do you, what have you got against Led Zeppelin 3? So Led Zeppelin 1 is very good album, but it's not like in contention, in my opinion, for a perfect album. It's, uh, you know, it's got a couple kind of bluesy songs that are awesome but they just one they are covers and two it's it's just never it's not quite quite grand enough i guess to to go for it it's like it's more of a jammy kind of feel and then led zeppelin 2 in my opinion was a perfect album so um i i I think you could have the a few people holding out um saying 
the Moby Dick, the instrumental, the, the drum solo is yeah. the is the letdown. It's hard to call it a letdown because it's like, could he have done a drum solo and it not have been a letdown? Like, is it just the letdown because it's a guitar solo? But yeah. it, it's a um, instrumental, but it's still a interesting instrumental. Um, so, in my opinion, Led Zeppelin two is just perfect. And then Led Zeppelin three, they basically follow up with a an absolutely different album. They go more folk. There's acoustic songs on it. Don't get me wrong. There's still some heavy stuff with immigrant song. Do, 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 do. And they have some other heavy songs as well. But in general, it's more of like the eclectic mix, you know, and it shouldn't work, but it does. It, they're just the way the, the, they've structured it. It actually sounds like it should be one album. Like you, you'll hear a, a, a an outtake or, or or a song from a different band and think, oh, this is very Led Zeppelin three. Even though Led Zeppelin three has two very um, hemispheric qualities to it, you know, like where you have the extremely heavy guitar and then you have like the lighter sort of acoustic stuff. So Led Zeppelin three is I don't know how they nailed an album where where there's just so much difference going on. And then there's one that actually strikes, I guess, probably more towards the acoustic. It's on a slide guitar. Yeah, you would still put it in the kind of the acoustic bag of that album. Yeah. And that's Hats Off to Roy Harper. Now, Hats Off to Roy Harper is a truly horrible song. It's <laughs> it, it's not like it doesn't fit with the album. In fact, it actually, like, in terms of the vibe, it probably fits. It's like it's still a bit of acoustic, a bit of like a folky thing. But it's just a truly shit show you know like it's just really really horrible and they put it at the end so as much as i hate this song i always think if i ever got the album i could just play it through and as soon as this song comes up just be like that's it guys that's the album 38 minutes not a minute longer you know like it just (laughs) (laughs) so conveniently they didn't shove it in the middle where you have to like you know grab your airpods you know and like skip the song you can just like end it one track early but um the the first time i heard this and uh, like probably for the first few listens i thought it's deliberately shit because led zeppelin had just done two great albums and almost a third great album and then i thought they just did some stupid shit just to put in the end just to show like they don't give a fuck and i actually don't think that's true i i i think they actually thought this was you know, at least when they released it, they thought it was album quality. So I, I can't even defend this song as a Led Zeppelin fan. It's just, <laughs> it's just truly horrible. I love Led Zeppelin three. I now we're playing the song in the background. I didn't really like it. It instant stood out to me as something I listened to a bunch of times. So maybe I skipped it as well without noticing. Yeah, it's at the very I'm end. I'm looking at the t- track listing, and each and every one here is, is an amazing song. Mm. But you get what I mean by like deliberately bad. Yeah. Like it's it's noisy. How did it's they dirty. think it's, this? Yeah, it's yeah. it's noisy. Yeah, and if you said, "Oh, Led Zeppelin are a really noisy band," they're not talking about this song either. Like most people would be <laughs> like, "Oh, you know, immigrant song, like just noise pollution." They they probably wouldn't have even heard this song. And this is the the true crime, you know. Like this is <laughs> this is the one that's offending people's ears. I don't mind it that much. I um, but uh, yeah, it's. It definitely sticks out. Yeah. So, Damon Rice is a, an Irish kind of like melancholic folk singer, I guess. He has a very famous song called Blower's Daughter. There's this part towards the end, but kind of like in the middle where it goes 
kind of like high pitch or, or well, it depends on the performance, but like there's a part that uh, a woman sings and it never really added up. It goes too high. It's a bit different from the melody. I don't know. It felt a bit disharmonic with the rest of the song. With what the, the song has to say, it makes sense because it's a love song. He lost uh, his lover. And then like that part is when... Uh, when she answers him. Thematically, it makes sense. Yeah. But that part always bothered me. I always find myself, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Like, I understand what, what, we try, what you try to do there, but I don't really like it. So an album that I think is almost perfect is uh, Anathema's A Natural Disaster from 2003. My friends and I always call them Anathema, but I think it's supposed to be Anathema. I don't know. They're British alternative rock band. And A Natural Disaster, just an amazing album. I think it's very atmospheric. It's very touching. I really loved it. It's, it's packed with really strong songs from the, the five minutes opener called Harmonium to the 11 minutes closer Violence. And tracks six through eight are just three strong tracks, uh, one after another. Really, really good album. But there's track five called Childhood Dream. I'll play it in the background. Let me know if it annoys you as much as it annoys me because it, it's, it's only two minutes long. You know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's between two really strong songs that I really like. And from the first time I listened to the album, it felt like it's stuck there, like it's a blemish on the album. Like I said, it's only two minutes long, so nothing huge. But it's not that it's a boring track in an otherwise perfect album. I always found it to be really dissonant. I don't like how it sounds. It has this nice sounding guitar that you hear playing in the background right now. It, it plays a fairly interesting chord progression, but they put over it every once in a while sounds of kids playing or something, and that makes me cringe for some reason. Like in terms of the atmosphere, it's a nice guitar, but I don't know, every once in a while I can hear sounds of kids in the background. It kind of reminds me of isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder, where you can hear his daughter. Yes, it's and so annoying. It, it bothered me then as well. Honestly, can't tell you how many times I listened to this album, A Natural Disaster, thinking, this time I won't skip Childhood Dream, and I always <laughs> end up breaking after like 30 seconds. And I really can't express how, many, how, how amazing the rest of the album is, so this song is a, a real problem for me. <laughs> so creepy. Yeah. It's not even that bad of a song without <laughs> the kids. I don't often find like sound effects not music related to be ever that interesting to be honest yeah i agree what else have i got let's go for okay so this isn't exactly one tiny corner that they haven't executed perfectly (laughs) this is more of like a flaw with the out like this is like there was a perfect album here and just the way they've built the album has has missed the mark i think so this could be controversial or it could actually be just this a very cold take i i don't really know what people feel about it but um what i have in mind is there is a 10 out of 10 single album of all things must pass by george harrison in 1970 which was released as a triple album with multiple takes of the same song some songs that were clearly more of jams than actual like thought out songs there was songs that were more instrumental almost and then there were songs that were just absolute bangers and i feel like if he wanted to do a because thinking back in 1970 you didn't have like infinite time you could do an album you actually had to 
fit 45 minutes on the vinyl. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I think there's 45 minutes or maybe less, 42 minutes of outstanding material. And I think, George, I, to, to be honest, I think George is one of those people that just does not care about making the perfect album. He wants to make an album that's important to himself. And I think that's just fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't know where this I'm was joking, going. But, um, really admirable. <laughs> fucking no, stupid. But I think he could have he could have made like a real commercial successful album. There's a lot of songs that you guys would be familiar with off the radio, like potentially My Sweet Lord, which is probably a great opening song. What is life? The um, you have one of my personal favorites, which some people might uh call a filler, but I think you guys gotta listen to it again, which is Run of the Mill. Um, you have other songs like I Live for You, which has this weird sort of melancholic riff in it, it's like do 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 do, you know, and one of those other great hits, isn't it a pity? Wah wah, I'd have you any time. The other one, which I can't believe I haven't mentioned, is um, All Things Must Pass, the the song, which is just a, a great song. And just skip all the songs like I Remember Jeep, Thanks for the Pepperoni, Out of the Blue, Plug Me In, like It's Johnny's Birthday. Like you're just going off the song names, you kind of get an inkling that they're not too like serious <laughs> songs. Isn't it a pity version two? We definitely don't need. Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp is a great song, but it just doesn't fit. It's not quite a fully developed song. Apple Scruffs is great if it makes it on the 45 minutes, but there's just too many things. Like, why would you put on Beware of Darkness version one and Let It Down, guitar and vocal version, What Is Life, backing track, you know. It sounds like a bit too much. All this stuff that should be on a bonus disc, not the triple album that you put out, you know. Like, it's, I'm obviously not telling you what to do, but. All I've done is I've made a playlist of 10 songs that just kick <laughs> ass, you know, like there, there is a, just a perfect album there, like better than, oh, how hot am I going to make this take? It, it's it's the best single Beatle, like it's the best Beatles album just by one member. And in terms of a uh, Beatles album, it's up there. You know what I mean? Like it's not Abbey Road, but it's it's definitely um, a very complete, complete album. Yeah. The, the reason he had a triple album in him if you call it a triple album, I, I would call it a double with a lot of outtakes, but is because he he was limited to two songs per album with the Beatles and or four songs, I guess, on the double album. If you think about his contributions, they're just fantastic. Like if you think about Abbey Road alone, you have probably one of like his most popular songs, which is Here Comes the Sun. And then what other song did he contribute for that album? Ah, oh, something. Ooh, you know, yeah. like it, it's a ridiculous hit rate. And... Sure, like he might have had only three songs and he picked the best two, but you know, you st- you still would have some backups. So um, I think he chucked in all the backups and then all the backups of the backups into this. But yeah, there is a missed opportunity there for a perfect album. And tell me if this is a bit, uh, I guess we could say, privileged. Is like I have this iPhone which I can make the playlist however I want. I can make the tracklist different every time. I'd still prefer to have an official version where it's a single album. Yeah. Like, even if it wasn't exactly the same songs I'd pick, like, more or less, but, you know, a couple different, you know, takes or different um, different songs, 
swapped out, I, I'd be happy with that. But if it was just like you could go out and buy it on vinyl and have a single album there, I, I would much prefer that than just making a playlist. Yeah, there's something about the the way when it's official, it feels mm. better for yeah. some reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. So another album that I think is almost perfect is Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell from 1997. Um, it's kind of a theatrical rock album. The whole thing is seven songs, I think, and I, I love this album. I think everyone should listen to it. I, I can't see why someone wouldn't like this album. I think the music is amazing. The lyrics are really fun. I, I really can't recommend this album enough. And when I got into this album, I listened to it once or twice a day, and I fell more and more in love with it. But after listening to it uh, many, many times, six out of the seven songs to this day are still really interesting and fun to me. And one song, Heaven Can Wait, which is track three on the album, kind of lost its charm. You know, like usually when I listen to an album too many times, all of it, except for maybe one or two songs, lose their charm. And here's there's only one song that I can't or, you know, just won't listen to anymore. And it's really not a bad song. I, I'm sure a lot of people consider this one the favorite of the album. But for me, for some reason, it became a song I skip most of the times. And it keeps the album from being like a perfect 10 out of 10. It takes it down to maybe at 9.6 out of 10. It's still a really good song, but I, I, I skip that song. It's a really special album. I'm sure like each and every song has like its audience, you know? Everyone has their own favorite song. It's not like there's one song that really stands out, except the, the title track, Bad Out of Hell, but it got like a, a video on MTV and stuff, so I'm sure that helped. But honestly, it's, it's such a great album. I really, really recommend it. So, when Harry met Sally, is a 1989 romantic comedy uh, directed by Rob Reiner, written by Nora Ephron, and starring Meg Ryan as Sally and Billy Crystal as Harry. Um, the story follows the relationship of Harry and Sally over about 12 years, and Harry and Sally meet at the beginning of the movie as Harry joins Sally to an 18-hour-long drive from Chicago to New York, after graduating from college. They're both young, uh, they're both taking like their first steps of their adult lives, uh, but they cannot be more different than each other. Harry is obnoxious, he's self-centered, he's judgmental, uh, he's also very charismatic, he seems to be very smart, though he uses his wits in kind of a misguided way. Um, he has all kinds of theories about life and relationships and stuff, and most of them are a bit pessimistic and shallow, I think you could say. Mm. And Sally seems to be much more optimistic about life. She's excited to see where life will take her. She's moving to New York to become a journalist. She's a bit fussy. She seems to have everything planned out in advance. And she thinks she can find a logical answer to every problem in life. And they don't exactly get along throughout the road trip, uh, especially not when Harry, who was dating Sally's friend at the time, either made or did not make a move on her. Uh, on Sally. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to debate that. Yeah, see if we're all in agreement. <laughs> they arrive at New York. Uh, they both go to the go their separate ways, and they don't expect to see each other ever again. Uh, and throughout the movie, Harry and Sally end up bumping into each other a few more times at different points in their lives. Uh, first, they meet on an airplane. At, at, at this point in their lives, Sally is happily dating this Joe guy, and Harry's about to marry a Helen. 
Uh, they don't seem to like each other any better after this meeting. A little later in the story, they meet again in this bookstore right after Sally and Joe broke up and Harry and Helen are getting a divorce. And the fact that both of them are going through a breakup then leads uh, to them having dinner together and they talk about what they went through and, and they end up kind of supporting each other. And the slowly, they become kind of best friends. Anyway, they kind of go on, on a journey together then. You know, they help each other go through uh, the breakup and they encourage each other to get back out there and find happiness with someone else. And despite becoming best friends, they still have fairly different views about all kinds of things. For example, Sally is annoyed by Harry's relationship habits. He tends to sleep with a lot of girls and, and leaving as quick as possible. Then there's this low point in the story. Sally finds out that Joe is getting married to his new girlfriend, even though he used to tell her that he doesn't want to get married. And, you know, that kind of breaks her and Harry comes to console her. And they end up sleeping together and Harry doesn't want to hurt Sally. He doesn't want to hurt their uh, friendship and he doesn't know how to handle this. So he leaves and Sally figures she she just became another one of those girls uh, that are dumped by Harry and their friendship is on ice for, for a while. And Harry tries to contact Sally often uh, to apologize, but she she's keeping her distance. And then the movie ends when Harry realizes that Sally makes him happy and he makes her happy and they're great together. And in a way, he shows her that she's not another one of those girls he sleeps uh, with and dumps. He knows her well. He loves every little thing about her. Every little flaw that he couldn't understand about her makes him love her and he convinces her to, to forgive him. And they end up getting married and they seem to be very happy together. And that's, uh, as usual, in broad strokes, that's a story. Uh, so let's go over our general thoughts about the movie. What do you guys think about When Harry Met Sally? I thought it was good. It, it was missing eight other relationships, though. <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> no, you Grant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was no Hugh Grant. Um, really missed that. But this is actually a, a good movie, in my opinion. I, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, just a few things off the top of my head. Well, I think I'm actually quite similar to Harry. Not in like some of the broad things, like yeah. we're sleeping with lots of girls. <laughs> Obviously, that's not <laughs> happening. But um, oh, Peter, I'm not quite at the stage of the whole. You know, wants to get married or wants to, you know, start a family and stuff, and his his wife doesn't. But yeah, I I always felt like I was a bit similar. Like, it, well, not always. I mean, since I watched it last week, but um, <laughs> like he kind of has this quality, which is. I thought I would say it's a bad quality, but it's not, it has some upsides, but like in the conversation, he wants to be thinking a few moves ahead. Like he wants, it's another way of saying he wants to be the smartest person in the room, yeah. but it's not necessarily the smartest person in the room. It's like the person who's thinking the most steps ahead in a conversation. You know what I mean? Like he's planning out like where it's going to go and trying to like, like when you're in a, cause I think I've done this quite a bit and when you're in a conversation with someone and you're treating it like some sort of tactical battle, yeah. like who's going to land the zinger, who's going to like make the lateral move and like kind of like make the conversation interesting and like who's going to like be setting up punchlines and stuff. And then the other person's just like trying to have a nice time. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, the other person's just like, yeah, that nah, soccer in the weekend was good. Like, you know what I mean? And like, I def, because uh, I, I definitely have noticed this in myself. I haven't quite nailed down like who it's with, because it's not with everyone, but it definitely with some people where like, I feel like I'm trying to read the plays a little bit too much. And 
I almost want to like make some attacking pass in this conversation. And the other person is just trying to have a good like conversation. It you know what I mean? Like that. When, when we talk and then suddenly <laughs> you, you ask, how frequently do you think about death? Yeah. <laughs> what is living? That's reference. I think he has that kind of quality about him where like, I think it was actually uh, kind of well explicated at the start when He's saying, like, you know, I think about death. I, I read the last chapter of a book. So if I die, like, I don't think he does any of that shit. I think it's just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it's just one of those things you say. You say it and then you go, oh, I'll do it just to be, like, quirky. You know what I mean? It's just like... Just to cover that point, I'll, yeah. I'll mention quickly that there's a scene right near the end of the movie where you see him read a book and he's, like, opening the first page yeah. and then he flips to the last page quickly. <laughs> so... <laughs> Maybe it does do that. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, like, it's totally possible where you say it because it's a funny thing yeah. to say. And then you can't separate the thought from the action anymore. You, you start to do all this weird shit because you want to be a bit weird. And, like, at the start, I actually like that bit of his character because it's, like, interesting and and um, cool. But, like, as, as it went on a little bit, like, I actually kind of like, hated it because I'm like, oh, no, this is the part of me that I always try to, like, suppress. <laughs> the whole, like, calculating shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it feels like you're not being, like, super genuine. Whereas Sally, in the whole movie, like, she's never playing politics. You know what I mean? Like, she's always, like, just genuine upfront. Like, if she feels upset, she'll generally just show that she's upset. You know what I yeah. mean? I, I, they are very different people, but like I just didn't realize how different. Like they, they're different in terms of like you know one one sort of um, is a bit more happy go lucky, one's more sort of a bit darker, and is the thinking type and all this stuff. But I think the real difference is like Sally's not; she's living like in the moment, whereas he's not. You know what I mean? He's doing some weird shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He says when shit will hit the fans, he'll be ready. Yeah. But she says you should enjoy the ride, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. They say it like they say this in like eight different ways. Yeah. But it, yeah, it actually resonates. So that's the bit that I kind of took out of the film the most, to be honest. Like just the personality types. And when you have like a a, a film with in the title, when Harry met Sarah, half half the words are title characters. You know what I mean? Like it's. It's not a surprise when you go into the movie and it's just character development the whole time. So I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the character development. I enjoyed the scenes. Like again, when action films do like big set pieces, they they live and die on like the battles. Whereas like romantic comedies live and die in the coffee shop scenes. You know what I mean? Like they're the ones that really make the make the film. So um, I think the Probably the highlight might probably be the cat's dining dining scene, which is in the context of the movie is very early on, but it sets up like it does a lot of world building. You know, it, yeah. it sets up what both characters' motivations are and stuff like that. And to be honest, like it's a very character driven movie, which I, as I age um, <laughs> a little bit more, I I enjoy Where are you more. Twenty four you know? now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but you know, as I as I get older, like I enjoy the characters more than the kind of the cars and the the battles and like the scenes, you know, and the scenery and and the the cast and stuff like that. Like I I I tend to get more involved in like each character's motivations, and that's not even like the plot. It's not even like necessarily how they got together or anything like that. Like 
shit that doesn't interest me is like the whole um the, the scene where they slept together and then they have like cold feet and stuff like that. that that to me was like the bit of the movie i didn't enjoy uh that all that much but all the scenes i liked were when they were physically together like yeah. um when they were sort of walking around like uh, some of my favorite scenes were when i think i guess harry felt this more but they they felt very um I guess damaged by previous relationships. I thought they they were the best um, scenes, in my opinion. Because uh, when you bond with someone, you can't you you can you can bond just on bad things, but you can't bond just on good things. Like people who go to war together are like best friends for life. You know what I mean? And it's and it's not because you're sleeping with them like you know for months at a time. Like you you could do that in a in a dorm. And not be friends with that person, but the fact that you are going through some emotional event in the presence of other people, like, is um, always going to bring people together. And those those scenes kind of were were my favourites in the film. So, yeah. Anyway, long rant. But uh, <laughs> what did you think, Barry? It's always hard to follow, Peter. It's always so thorough. Next time you can start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Delightful. You know, it kind of felt like a Woody Allen movie, right? Yeah, yeah there are similarities yeah. in terms of like the dialogues are very important here. Yeah, it's it's mm. a lot about the dialogues, not that much about the actual actions. And, you know, walking in New York and a lot of talking and this ongoing romance. I think it was really interesting relationship builder. Like uh, the, the concept that they keep meeting up in a couple years uh, intervals was very interesting to me yeah that lets you kind of place the characters in different places every time like uh, every time you see them they're in different points in their lives and that's and they're changed yeah. and it makes sense that's exactly my next point i think what really you know turned me on to to this movie is the concept of change because you know usually when you see a story you have linear timeline and you got a couple of characters and usually they go some sort of a transformation that that you're really a part of. You, you can understand why they're transformed. But time really changes a lot. Like when they first meet up, they're both unbearable. You know, you see you see the same traits as the time go by, but they get more subtle. Like they grow up into functioning adults. So, And what's interesting to see is that while they definitely couldn't be together when they were 23 or something and then they couldn't be together when they're like five years later and like only around their mid 30s or maybe ah, 32 I think then it clicks and that that was a very interesting experience to see how how these characters kind of like grow not together but in parallel and I gotta say that like I knew it was a romantic comedy they're going to get a, to get together but like they obviously don't get along they're they're both uh, terrible this this the, the concept of change over time i think that, that the movie really really did a great work with i myself i had a lot of fun watching this movie i think that during the first like real dialogue between harry and sally i knew that i was going to really enjoy this movie it's a charming dialogue they're both very charismatic and they have such a good chemistry together even though they don't like each other like at all and you know, when I noticed that, I felt like I shouldn't take my eyes away from the screen because I didn't want to miss a moment of them together. I liked both of the main characters, even though uh, they both had a lot of flaws. I think that 
the story as a whole makes me feel kind of optimistic about life because like throughout the movie you tend to think that Harry and Sally don't have a chance together even though like you know it's a rom-com you know they'll end up being together but it's kind of hard to see how they'll grow and and, and get to the same place uh, so you know there, there are chances for finding partners at points seem slim but they end up happy uh, their friends Jesse and Marie uh, also seem like hopeless at first you know Jesse gave up on love and he's focusing on his job and Marie's hung up for years on this married guy who she has no chance with but they end up finding each other and also becoming happy and throughout the movie there are like short, 30 seconds long stories of all kinds of old couples whose stories seem to have gone like against all the odds. All of these love stories that feel like they don't have a chance but end up, you know, unexpectedly ha- happy made me, made me feel easier about life. <laughs> I'm not saying that that is how life works, but I love the optimistic feel of the whole thing. I talked with a few friends about this movie during the last week and I heard from a few that they didn't really like it, but I don't know, I thought it was really charming it's definitely one of those movies I'd always be happy to watch again. I, like Barry mentioned, I, I, I loved how this movie was structured. Like, after their first meeting, when they arrive in New York, they say goodbye to each other, they clearly haven't made any plans to meet again, and the movie fades to black, and I remember thinking how I felt, you know, it, it felt like it was the end of the movie, but it was only like 15 minutes into it. You felt like, you know, they're separating they probably won't see each other again anymore. And then, like I mentioned earlier, they kept meeting at different points in their lives. And I love how at every point they had something in common to connect about. Um, What I'm trying to say is that this movie is, in a way, you know, it's about two things. It's about the question, can men and women be friends? But it's also kind of, in a way, about love stories that happened unexpectedly, against all odds, and, and against common sense. And I just really enjoyed the optimistic feel about this movie. Yeah, I think some stories are some stories are about trying to. Well, a lot of stories are meeting the right person at the right time. This story goes more into the right time because the person is always there. It's just the time that's interesting. Like they've got to they've got to change as people before they can get together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not like they missed the opportunity to get together when they were twenty two or twenty eight. Like and and they just didn't didn't do it. It, it. Like it could have only really worked it in their early thirties. Like it was um, stuff had to actually occur yeah. before they got together. I saw something on YouTube about this movie, and they said something really interesting. They said that often in in other you know, like rom coms, when there's a relationship that's waiting, that that you're kind of you know it's going to happen, but uh, there are problems often. The, the the problems are external, you know, there's the, the girl or the guy's dating someone else or something about their schedules doesn't uh, line up or anything. But here, mm. there's nothing. It's it's literally just them. Yeah, I mean, like, they like at the times that they met, I guess maybe not the, the after the first five-year skip, but the next one where we skip to the last kind of bit and then we ride the wave for two years, you know, yeah. in that one. They're ready to go. They could date straight away. It wasn't external factors. Like they, they were both available. You know, like all they need to do is swipe right. But they just didn't. Um, it, yeah, it's totally just um, a relationship thing that they just had to work out first. A few years ago, I read this book about storytelling. It's called uh, "The Anatomy of Storytelling" by John Truby, which gave a few really interesting examples of how movies or books use 
uh, secondary characters as points of comparison for the main characters. And since then, I kind of tried to notice it in movies, and I think that this movie does a brilliant job at that. Like, other than the fact that we see the, the different ways Harry and Sally react to breakup, for example, like, after the second skip, 10 years after they meet, they're both going through breakup, and you see how differently they react to that, but both Harry and Sally have best friends, Joe for Harry and Marie for Sally, which kind of mirror their friends in a way. For example, after uh, Sally broke up with Joe, Sally seems to be taking things really slowly and carefully. You know, she says she's in a mourning period, and she says it might take her a long while before she can feel something for someone again. And she never notices that there's something good right in front of her with Harry. And Marie, on the other hand, is the exact opposite. She keeps telling Sally uh, to hurry and find someone before she dies. <laughs> and she's in love with someone she doesn't have a chance with. She's not looking for anything other than what's right in front of her. And Harry can really form a, a, a meaningful relationship with anyone. So he slips around and he breaks people's hearts and stuff. And Jesse seems to not be able to find love as well, but he decides to give up on dating altogether and focus on his writing. And the interesting thing is when Jesse and Marie meet, like Harry's trying to set up Jesse with Sally, and Sally's doing the same for Marie and Harry. And they immediately see that they feel comfortable with each other, Marie and Joe, and uh, Jesse. Mm. You know, they, they immediately feel that there's something there, and it takes them literally moments to start a relationship. Like, they didn't even wait to the end of the date, you know? And that relationship ended up in a happy marriage. And that is, again, the exact opposite from Harry and Sally, who take years to realize what's between them and act upon it. Jesse and Marie literally felt something and went for it. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, um, <laughs> also the line that they were like, if we found, or if they found us remotely attractive, this wedding wouldn't have been <laughs> happening. But uh, <laughs> that was very yeah. good. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the very least, the comparison at least says like, not everyone's doing this twelve-year dating thing. It's like obviously these guys are totally delusional. You know, <laughs> it's. <laughs> I feel like there's almost an analogy to sleep here, where like you feel like everyone else is like, they just go to sleep, turn off the lights and then they're asleep. And then anyone who's had like some sleep problems, it feels like you just toss and turn and struggle. And then if hopefully if you do get to sleep in the morning or by the morning and you wake up, I guess you, you do know that you had some trouble sleeping. But when you wake up, you don't remember that very clearly. You know, like all you remember is like the sleep or immediately getting up from sleep you know whereas with uh, um, the comparison to their friends like you feel like everyone else is getting it done quicker you know what I mean like you because Harry and Sally are obviously interested in each other and they set up a, a two friends they're obviously meant to be dating them and then they get married <laughs> before even Harry and Sally are together it just feels like everyone's like advancing through the queue quicker yeah. you know what I mean it it, it, it adds to that dread factor because this is around the point in the movie where it's like you know you're almost 40 and stuff like that so yeah i i think the ticking time bomb aspect kicks into gear then a little yeah bit. even though the clock doesn't start ticking until you're 36 <laughs> nice so yeah mm, i'm still safe really? but not ah. for long <laughs> you keep hearing these uh small stories from old couples throughout the movie in a way they're they're charming but they're simple like right like uh 
we've been to the same place. We we've talked with the same people. Kind of like we worked at the same job. I don't know. Like you, you can pretty much summarize it in the ten seconds that they had. Yeah, there was one about like two high school sweethearts that got separated at some point. They didn't see each other for like thirty years, and then they saw each other in the middle of the street in New York. And like nothing changed for them. They got married and they've been together yeah. for like 40 years. <laughs> In 30 years. So like nothing, nothing had happened and, at all. Uh, yeah. And there was, I think one of the last stories is a guy that kind of like he got married a couple of times and, and then, you know, while dating another woman, he found the, his wife that afterwards. Uh, been... Is this the one where his wife's recounting like the names of yep. wife one through five or whatever? Yeah. And he's just like that first one, you know, <laughs> yeah, the one with the curls, Jeanette. <laughs> Actually, she was wife number one. They were married for three years, <laughs> and then he met uh, wife two through four. Yeah, and another girl. She's doing oh. all sorts of exactly. And then yeah. they remarried on the same day, on like the, ah. their first anniversary. You know, and then they oh, stayed wow. together for like thirty-five years. They were married for, for three years, separated for who knows oh, how long, I and then they remarried that. for thirty-something years. Okay, so so that that actually falls in the same in the same category because like. You keep hearing these really cute stories, and my understanding was that it came to emphasize how, like how these how these stories usually go. But then when they get together and the movie ends with them doing their own kind of like, uh, you know, monologue as a, monologuing it as a couple, then then basically, the then basically it's saying, I think I'm getting it. <laughs> stay with me. Keep stay going, with me. Keep so going. Basically, basically it means <laughs> that all the other couples that we just, you know, that we saw throughout the movie, each of them probably has their own movie, you know, their own kind of like complex, like, because it's never that simple. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. always with ups and downs and, and witty dialogues, I think. <laughs> and and that's, that's kind of like an amazing realization because it starts with making you think that this, you know, that the baseline is a fairy tale and what you're seeing is just the messy reality. But then it basically mm. says say that even the fairy tale stories yeah. are yeah. are coming from messy realities. So that's that's a cool saying. I I, I thought it was very mature. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell a love story in like 20, 30 seconds in a few lines and it'll sound, you know, magical and happy and but but there's so much mm. more than that. And when Harry and Sally do theirs, it's they don't go like, whoa, you wouldn't believe this shit. Like, <laughs> you know, like they're just like, you know, it was like an on and off thing. Like, and then we got together and, you know, what I mean? like it, they, they summarized it like everyone else summarized it. So that's kind of like the, that, say you play all the old people clips together and then you have some guy with a big stick with a PowerPoint going, see, see, it's that easy, guys. It's that easy. <laughs> but- then you get this this movie, right? Some guy's like, no, 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 it's not that easy. Let's zoom in on one of them. And then they click, Harry and Sally, let's have a look at this one. And then you play the movie and you go, well, that was fucking complicated. You know, like that, <laughs> yeah. that was not what they summarized, you know? Like, so it's, it's kind of like, if you think about it in reverse, it's just like zooming in and thinking like, all right, when when old people say this is how it happened, like we met at the canteen and then it was love at first sight, like are they, are they just bullshitting or is like is it was it that easy? And like for the most part, like there's that amnesia you get, like the, when you wake up from sleep, you don't remember the struggle exactly. You exactly. Know what I mean? like you, That's what I was you, going to say. You can remember some of the more concrete details, like oh, it was five years and then we've met again in five years and stuff, but you don't remember the 
emotional component. Because when you're looking back on it, you're certain you got together because you are together. But before you get together, you don't know. You know, like you, there could have been 12 years of struggle and, and no Harry and Sally. So, like, obviously, it seems simple from looking from that side. But, yeah, it, it is interesting just to see, like, how people kind of forget about the details, you know. Like, um, and, and honestly, like, that's the way that you'd want it to be. Yeah. You, you wouldn't want to, you know, be like, so how'd you guys met? And then you guys were oh, just man, go, oh, she was a fuck. bitch. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Don't ask us. <laughs> Don't ask us. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, it, it, there's there's probably some, like, adaption quality there where, like, it's better you just forget. <laughs> Which is not to say, like, there's no, like, I'm sure some people would actually have legitimately very easy, like, you know, oh, we just met one day on Tinder and then, you know, we basically dated for three months, then we moved in, then we dated for another six <laughs> months and then, you know. I met the parents and then we made it for another six months and then he proposed and then two years later was the wedding and then two years later after that was our first kid, then another year later and it was our second kid and then four years later we moved, we went to the city and then five years later, you know, I retired obviously and he kept on working for a little bit, I was raising the kids and then we put the kids through high school and then he started working less and then I started working, you know, part time <laughs> and then after the kids came out, you know, he was doing the driving lessons, I obviously was sort of, you know, helping helping the girls through puberty and like going through, you know, their early twenties and then he retired, obviously I was still working a few days a week. And then, you know, they grew up a little bit. They were starting to give money back to us. And then, you know, after that, we just went to the retirement home and that was it, you know, like, <laughs> like that never happened. <laughs> but the thing is like, people will vary off that path and then they'll just go straight back to it you know like you fuck up the first 10 years and then you go all right let's do that like the the main storyline again you know what i mean so <laughs> do you think that like after watching the movie and like thinking about the story and everything do you think we can answer the most important or or the most frequent question raised in the movie did harry hit on sally <laughs> no <laughs> can men and women be friends but uh, he definitely <laughs> hit on her the second time i watched that movie It was so clear that he was hitting on her. <laughs> yeah. I'm on the I'm on the hit on yeah. hit on side. Cause like the thing is, no guy ever goes up to a girl and be like, Hey girlfriend, <laughs> like what you look nice, you know, like you know, it, you obviously make it more subtle and like he wasn't even that yeah. subtle. You know what I mean? Like it's he tried to play it off as like the quirky kind of thing, but he was like he definitely chucked a hook yeah. out. You know what I mean? Like okay. There was no chance. Like, if if she was like, oh, you think so? Like, there's no way he'd be like, yep, anyway. Yeah. You know, like, he would absolutely go First for time it. I watched that movie, at that point, we still didn't really know him. So, I gave him the benefit of mm. the doubt. But the second time I watched that movie, it was so obvious. Like, mm. yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. But like, what do you think? Can men and women be friends? We all know that, obviously, yeah, they can be. But, like, what do you think the movie was going for with that question? Good point. <laughs> intuitively i want to say that you know that's that's like part of his character was to say that sentence but the fact that this sentence kind of like repeated throughout the movie and that the movie ended with them being together it is a kind of strange statement um it is a bit strange because like you said the movie hints that harry's theories are kind of dumb you know and by that it implies that they're also baseless but 
that like the story ended up proving him right like they couldn't stay friends there was mm. always something between them so I, yeah. I was kind of wondering about that yeah because we we unfortunately we do have the case study and it works out for him but my initial thought is that that's bullshit and like I think that yeah there's definitely a reason because you definitely I know I've had this in the past where I've had like friendships with someone with a, with a girl and like I don't I guess we hadn't addressed the whole like why don't we date thing you know what I mean like we're not we're not dating but we haven't fully established our reasons why we're not like which you shouldn't like have to do I'm not saying like whenever you're friends with a girl you need to like establish yeah. like why you don't <laughs> sign date. a contract like because that's just a terrible <laughs> <Yeah>. rule but <laughs> but um like there is something to be said like if you're single and she's single and you get along really well, it's not the most preposterous thing in the world to think we should go out. And and you know what I mean? Like it's if if you do legitimately get along with each other, like you almost got to be like even just as a checklist, like did did you want to go out with this person? Like yes or no? And like it's easy when it's a yes cuz you think, well, okay, then you get that awkwardness if you don't ask them and that's kind of on you. But if you if you think, no, I don't want to date him, like, hmm. I don't know, maybe it's worth, like, asking yourself why. Like, it's, yeah, because I've, I've definitely had friendships there where I I haven't expressed any interest in dating them, but, like, I guess there is still that tension there for some reason. I think it's because I don't have my reasons, like, clear. Like, there's almost, like, a bit of a doubt in my mind, like, it's in, like, you know, Maybe I just haven't thought about it or something like that. Like so, usually it's a combination between chemistry and attraction. Well, physical chemistry mm. and personal chemistry. Like when you're having fun with a person, but you also want to have fun with that person. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to make a great dad. <laughs> as much as I do agree that like physical and personal chemistry is pretty much what you need. As we learned from the movie, the reality is a bit more messy. And I think even the concept of mm. personal chemistry really changes. Like, you know, I've met girls that, that I, I was physically attracted to and, and we got along great. But the thought of like creating a relationship with them was just a bit too intensive. You know, it's a big spectrum, personal chemistry. Yeah, like I, I always try to imagine the like the dullest scenario because you think, oh, how cool would it be like, you know, going to the beach and going to the movies and like, you know, other things <laughs> like yeah, with this person, like, it, you know, you think about like all the things that you see in like adventure magazines or like in brochures for like Hawaii, but you don't think about like doing the dishes and like the feeding the cat and the cleaning like the patio and paying bills and stuff like that. You don't ever think about that stuff. Like, do you guys have that connection where you guys can kind of be on the same team doing something that's not particularly fun? You know what I mean? You should feel like in some sense, like you guys can be on the same team. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like if you're not at a bar, you just wouldn't get along. Like, you wouldn't talk to each other. Like, I think the intellectual bit would cover some of that ground. Um, so back to, back to the movie, like I mentioned in our last episode, when we introduced the topic for today, I watched this movie once before, I didn't go into this completely blind. I haven't watched it in a long while and I didn't remember too much from it. And I was planning to watch it again anyway, but I remember 
like really loving this movie. So I was I was interested to see if I was still going to enjoy it this time, and I really did. I really loved this movie. I was also really interested to see what you guys would think about it, and you guys sound positive about it, like all in all. So I'm glad about that. And I, I said it before, this is a movie I would always be happy to see. I watched it twice before recording this episode. Uh, once actually on a first date, on a second date with this really cute girl I recently met. And once today, I watched it alone today. Like, I didn't have to work today. I woke up, I took the dog out for a walk, made myself some breakfast, and then I curled up in my blanket on the sofa and watched this movie again. And it was so much fun. I love this movie. <laughs> to, to me, like this felt like what Barrio said, similar to that um, Annie Hall a little bit. You know, it's uh, very character-driven, which I quite like. Characters are interesting. And it also has that kind of like life's not perfect vibe to it you know what i mean like it's not just all rosies it's um there's i don't know if you call it turmoil but definitely definitely some emotional episodes and stuff like that and yeah on the whole like i just i liked how the movie flowed like the 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 time jumps felt natural because you spent the most time in the last time jump but the other time jumps were still needed there. You couldn't just jump to the last one. So it, it, it all felt very structured and, and very well thought out. And um, again, I, we didn't talk about, about it much because I think a little bit because it's just such a given, but the um, the acting was just fantastic. Yep. And um, yeah, I, I liked the movie a lot, to be honest. Mario? It was a fun, fun movie and um, very relatable. And it still holds. Like it's it's really still fun to watch almost 32 yeah, years old 33 that's, yeah that's impressive and and i think that it will still be like what i really liked about it is that you know a lot of old movies are kind of like um disrupted by today's technology like the plot is is a bit disrupted and and this time like not really like even if you take into mind facebook and and instagram and for and smartphones etc really still just works and and i i like that what I got to say did surprise me is that I, I kind of expected that there will be familiar scenes. Like, we didn't talk about it, but there's obviously the, the scene in the coffee shop where uh, she they <laughs> yeah. talk about women she faking orgasms. orgasms. Yeah. And th- that's a really famous one. Like, I, I've definitely seen it in, in a couple of others, <laughs> yeah. other, other movies or TV series. Like, the, yeah. the I'll have what she's having. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very familiar. But I got to say that I expected that there will be more. Yeah, I can see why. So, as we do at the end of each step of our quest, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not When Harry Met Sally has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide. We will vote with a gentlemanly tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke with a mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. I'll, I'll vote first because, like, I think since our last episode, it was kind of obvious that I was going to tip my hat for this movie. Yeah, I'll go next. Um... I, I was a little bit on the fence and I realized the reason I was on the fence is because I, I wouldn't put this in my top movies like I, I would with Love Actually. But if I just forget about Love Actually and, and think about this on its own, yeah, I, 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 I really like this movie. So I, I'm happy to tip my hat. I think I'm, I'm with Peter here as well. Like I think I've enjoyed Love Actually a bit more like because it was warmer, I think. This was a bit more intellectual. But um, just because Love Actually was a Christmas movie and this was a New Year's movie, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll tip my hat as well. 
I don't want to be a, a negative uh, Nelly like you, you've been in on or with love, actually. <laughs> You're already thinking about the, the, the three-year episode where we count how many Quag members we each have to our names. You suggested this movie. You just want the score. Yeah, probably. <laughs> But I got to say that was like when you suggested Citizen Kane. Like I had a feeling that this is, this yeah. is a sure thing. Yeah, cool. So this is in the Quag. So we, we already introduced a topic for our next episode. On our last episode, Barrio chose two movies for us to do, and we decided to do an episode on each. So in case you haven't listened to our last episode, we're going to watch Sleepless in Seattle, our fourth rom-com in a row. Like we said last episode, I don't really know anything about Sleepless in Seattle, other than the fact that Nora Ephron, who wrote When Harry Met Sally, who's now a Quag member, also wrote and directed Sleepless in Seattle. And also, it has Meg Ryan, which I love this Sally, and Tom Hanks, who's always great, you know? So, great expectations, mm. I think. Yeah. Uh, it came out in 1993, so a few years after When Harry Met Sally. That might be a, a slam dunk as well. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I don't think we've ever watched two movies in a row with the same actress, or mm. two movies who were written by the same person, Nora, Nora Ephron. So, uh, uh, be it's kind of a first. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but anyway, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. Thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye! Bye-bye! See ya! The Culture Quest podcast is brought to you by no one in particular. The best way to support us and help us grow is to tell your friends and family about us and to direct them at episodes that they might find interesting. We might start a Patreon page at some point. That way we'll be able to do some cool stuff with people who decide to actively support us, such as you'll be able to join our Discord channel and discuss the albums, movies, books we're doing before we record each episode. You'll be able to suggest and to vote on the subjects that we do. We can maybe do listening parties with the albums we've covered and who knows what else. Uh, if you think you might be interested in something like that or you want to contact us about anything else, drop us a line. You can find all the ways to contact us on our website. CultureQuestPodcast.com Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a, um, a website, actually. It's called GiveWell.org. So that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double L dot org. So it's, it's a dot org. So it's, it's legit. And, um, basically they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity. So obviously we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times. But if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to, um, charities, it's definitely best to do your research because, A lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and 
we're all going to need to support everyone. So, this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah. So, definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering. And hopefully, those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So, anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you.